Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have the Doors guitarist, Robbie Krieger. At the time of this interview, in 1991, Krieger was 45 years old and was promoting his own band, the Robbie Krieger Band. In the interview, Krieger talks about his thoughts on Oliver Stone's movie, The Doors, why Doors keyboardist Ray Manzarek wanted nothing to do with the film, and how he thinks Jim Morrison should be remembered. Music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared them to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And by God, I'll have vengeance. In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line. The True Story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. you have some time to talk to me now, or do you want to reschedule? Um... I could, uh, I can give you about 10 minutes now, or I could reschedule Let's Let's see how far we get, okay? Your, your bio says that, that you have uh, become the unheralded first to do what later became the standard for guitarists. Hyperbole, or uh, can you cite some instances? Say that again, what does it say? It says, you become the unheralded first to try what later becomes the standard. I think uh, that I think you're talking more about the doors than me. You know, I think other people, other bands uh, sounding like us, the type of stuff we write. And although I think guitar-wise, I was one of the first to use the slide. I think quite a few uh, guys copied my style, too. The slide in rock guitar, you mean? Yeah. Do you think you're recognized for what you contributed as a guitarist? Well, among guitar players, maybe so. I don't think so, because Morrison got most of the limelight from the doors. And the other three guys didn't really get uh, as much attention as we would have had we been in you know, a more normal group. I want to cover a couple of things before we get into the doors. Um, also, uh, No Speak Records. What, what, why did you decide to make a No Speak album? That sort of fit in with what I had been doing anyway. I, I've been making sort of rock, jazz, kind of instrumental albums over the past uh, 10 years. Anyway, it seemed like a lot thing to do to me since I didn't have Jim to write for anymore. I figured I'd just go instrumental. And in your new band, you're playing with 
your sound is, is that good? I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I wish I had a dad who had a band when I was starting out. Did your dad encourage uh, your playing in a band? Not really. No. <laughs> when he saw it? Didn't discourage it, but, you know, he, he wanted me to become a lawyer or something like that. Are there times where you wish you had become a lawyer? No. No? Oh, well, that's good. Is this the first band that, that you've gone back to playing some Doors tunes with? Uh, not really. I, I've always done a some Doors stuff, you know, mm-hmm. with whatever band I've been in. Well, not always, but I'd say in the past 10 years or so, anyway. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the movie for a bit. What did you think of it? Well, I think it's, uh, for what it is, I think it's real good. You know, I look at it like a, a real good video. Okay. You know, there, to me, there wasn't really enough there to make a, a real meaningful Hollywood movie out of it. Um, but I think there was enough stuff there, you know, just visually and and musically to make an interesting movie. Shaliver did a real good job, I thought. Yeah. Well, it looks like looks more like a video than a movie, actually. Yeah. So. You're pretty nice to it compared to uh, at least what I've heard Rayman Zarek say about yeah. it. I mean, he just scorched the thing. Right. Well, you know, he, you know, he decided not to be involved with it at all. And uh, it's real easy to knock something that uh, you weren't any part of. You know, in a way, it's like sour grapes, I guess. Have you but talked to him? I that because I don't. I decided to go ahead and be involved with it and try to make it as help it become as good as possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ray just went the other way and said, "No, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. This is fucked," you know. Which was pretty weird because Ray has been the one that always wanted to do this movie, and I never wanted to do it. And finally, we got Oliver Stone, so I said, "Shit, all right, let's go ahead and make it as good as we can." And Ray bailed out. Uh, have you talked to Ray about it? Not much. No reason to. Um, In the movie, uh, you guys are always, uh, pretty much always shown uh, looking at Morrison and scowling. Is that that what you did? Mm -hmm. Sometimes. I kind of got the impression watching this movie that it should have been called uh, Jim Morrison's Wretched Excesses, you know, instead of The Doors. Because even though you guys were a big part of the band, obviously, basically they just had you looking at the guy. Right, yeah. Well, that that was, I'm sure, Ray's main complaint with the movie. And we knew that's how it was going to be because that's what the... The major attraction of the Hollywood movie is this, hey, there's this crazy guy we can portray. And, you know, whereas the Doors fans would love to see the other guys and how the songs were made and the studio and all that. They figure, well, the people will, be, will love to see this crazy asshole. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's why I never wanted to make the movie. But I, did, I figured that if uh, people can get some idea of what it was like to be at a Doors show and they can hear, you know, the songs and have some nice visuals put to them, then uh, that's better than nothing, you know. And somebody was going to make this movie anyway, one way or the other, without us or with us. Did they, did they have to have your permission? Well, to use the songs, they did. The thing is, they could have done something like The Rose where 
they take some of the songs that we didn't write that we did like backdoor man they can do those and they can take and have some guys write some songs that sort of sound like some doors songs and you know that would be ridiculous but they would do it what's what's the truth about the doors you were there and you know it as well as anybody i mean what's the attraction why are they still you know why is the door still popular 20 years later and uh, what's the truth what really happened i know that's a that's a could be a very long answer but uh, well i think part of it is that you know we really were not part of the 60s band trip you know flower power and all that you know we weren't into that we were either ahead of our time or behind our time or something but you know i think that's why people relate to us now because we were sort of different more psychological more universal in the way we wrote songs our sound was different our sound even was more like today's sound in that you know, because Ray had to play the bass at the same time as the organ, it he ended up playing these very hypnotic things that were easy for him to play, and it was sort of like today's sequence uh, stuff, very hypnotic, and maybe not danceable uh, like uh, your dance music of today, but I think it had the same effect on people. And um, but it was mainly the words; they really came from deep within, rather than being about. Well, you know, uh, local subjects or uh, trivial subjects. There's this uh, new book, Jim Morrison, Dark Star by Dylan Jones, which is mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, just a picture book more or less. But guy has a phrase that I kind of like. I wonder if you think this is accurate. He says Jim Morrison was a pop genius but an amateur human being. I think, in a way, he was way ahead of anybody else just being a human being. But in other ways, he was uh, a retard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he could be a real asshole. But that, that wasn't Jim. That was the other, the, the crazy guy who, that came out when Jim got drunk. But Jim wasn't drunk all the time. He could be the greatest guy you've ever met in your life, which... Even if that was only once a week, that was enough to get you through the other six days. Okay. So he, so he could sustain himself on being nice once in a while. Oh, yeah. The thing that I thought was really flawed in the movie was that, you know, you guys made eight records in about four years. And, uh, you know, obviously he couldn't have been going off and just going nuts all the time because eight records in four years is a lot of product. Well, you know, that's the thing is uh, when Jim was working, he was at his best. And he was never missed a show, you know, even though it seemed like in the movie that he was always, you know, late or, you know, and many times we were worried that he might not make it, but he always did, and the reason for that was because that was what he lived for, that was, you know, playing was what he loved the best, and, uh, and that's when we were at our best, you know, all the personal shit aside, when we were playing, we were great. At first, we, we got along great, and Jim was great, but, you know, as the drinking pour on, he, you know, it got harder and harder to live with, but when we were playing, it was always great. Is it true that uh, you guys talked to Iggy Pop about joining the band after Jim died? No. No, okay. We, we considered get, you know, getting a, another guy, but after thinking about it, we, we decided not to. Did you find it tough to make records uh, after Jim died, as far as uh, Doors records, I mean? Yeah, um... 
we did. But I mean, the first record we made after Jim died was was uh, other voices. Other voices, yeah. And uh, that one, see, when Jim had gone to Paris, the three of us kept on, you know, writing and and rehearsing stuff. And uh, you know, we expected Jim would be back. When he didn't come back, we just sort of went ahead. And, well, I don't. Want, we don't want to waste this stuff. Let's just, we'll just go ahead and put it out as the doors without Jim. You know, see what happens. But what happened was after Jim had died, the three of us ended up totally not being able to get along. And uh, you know, when Jim was alive, it was like that he balanced the three of us perfectly. And it's like everybody seemed to have it was a perfect balance of a personality. But when Jim was gone, that balance was gone, and we just couldn't get along. It's really a shame that that's not reflected at all in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So. You know, two hours and 15 minutes, you'd think you could get some of that in there. You know, maybe cut out one of the drunken binges or something yeah, in favor yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things, I'll let you go. Do you feel like the, the doors uh, have come to symbolize the 60s in any in any respect? Um, not really. Like I said, we weren't really a product of the 60s. We were more universal than that. Uh, you know, I mean, when I think of the 60s, I think of the mamas and papas as a, you know, Buffalo Springfield or something like that. You know, the toys were kind of an anomaly. Uh, we didn't really belong in any time frame, I don't think. You, you seem to cope pretty well with the, the attention and the fact that, uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, you've done about a million interviews since this movie came out does it ever bother you do you just say geez I wish you know I could put this aside and you know be Robbie Krieger guitar player and uh, head, of, head of my own band and kind of forget that well I used to think that way you know years ago but I realized that the doors is bigger than any of us and it's um it's not that only happens once in a lifetime and not to many people so you know I don't mind it I mean, it's an honor to be in one of the doors. Yeah, but is it, I just wonder if it's, you know, you realize that it's over and it's been over for like 20 years now. You know, is it, is, I just wonder if it's tough to uh, to know that you can't go back to that and that you can't achieve that again. Uh, like I said, it used to bother me, but uh, I don't, no, I don't expect to achieve that again. I don't know if I would want to. <laughs> okay. Two other things. Um, do you think music today is better or worse than when the doors were around? Worse. Why? Uh, I, well, I, I hate to blame it on the business, but I don't know where else to blame it at all. I think partly it's because, you know, the whole rock star thing has gotten out of hand. Everybody wants to be a rock star, and therefore anybody who has the money and the desire can become a rock star, no matter what talent you have. And talent has become secondary, and therefore... Um, there's a glut of lousy music out there, and, and the record companies don't know what's good or bad. Therefore, how should the public know? That's that's a pretty good answer to it. Yeah. Um, and and lastly, what what should be the real memory that uh, people have of Jim Morrison? Uh, well. You know, I'm afraid it'll be uh, this movie will be the way he's remembered, but 
which might not be that bad. I mean, he could be a lot worse than, than in the movie, uh, too. But, uh, but then again, he could be a lot nicer. I wish everybody could know him the way I knew him before the drinking, you know. And uh, when we were like, writing those first songs and uh, in the early days. And, you know, maybe I'll, uh, I'll write a book someday, which I'll make a movie out of. Yeah, that would, that would be nice. Did uh, Val Kilmer do a good job uh, portraying Yeah, he really did a good job. Yeah, I mean, did you ever look at it and think, Jesus, guy, uh, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we could get back together again with uh, Val Kilmer singing. Yeah, it was scary sometimes how, how much he was like, too. Yeah, but, but people forget that he can imitate him all he wants, but he can't write the songs or, or right. participate in the songs. Anyway, well, that's what I needed, and uh, I appreciate your taking the time. I'm glad we had a chance to talk. All right, man, good. Thanks, man. I'd like to see the article. Yeah, I'm going to uh, drop Linda a copy when uh, when it's done. It should be out sometime next week. Okay. All right, thanks a lot. Great. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed. <laughs>